From True Africa, I'm Claude Renitsky, and this is Limitless. In this episode, we're talking about female genital mutilation. My advice to all my sisters and young women would be that they don't necessarily have to be activists to change things. The strategy had to be changed, and we had to use videos that shocked people. Although this is a women's issue, men play a big, big role in ending FGM. Welcome to Limitless, the podcast that asks the questions that matter for Africa. We're looking for African solutions to African problems. In each episode, we're asking three guests one question that matters to Africans. And, no surprise, they don't always agree. The Limitless Podcast is supported by the U.S. Department of State and the Scenefire Foundation. I think I'll start off this episode with a definition of female genital mutilation, FGM. FGM refers to all procedures involving partial or total removal of the external female genitalia or other injury to the female genital organs for cultural or other non-medical reasons. Immediate complications include severe pain, shock, bleeding, infection, ulcers, fever, and septicemia. These can cause death. Long-term consequences include infertility, complications during childbirth, cysts, urinary incontinence, painful sexual intercourse, increased risk of HIV transmission, as well as psychological effects. If hearing that makes you uncomfortable, just imagine having to go through it. I talked to three activists in Guinea, Mali, and Kenya about how we can end FGM. First up is Kadiatu Konate, a 20-year-old activist from Conakry, Guinea, in West Africa. Kadiatu is co-founder of the Young Girl Leaders Club of Guinea. It has more than 500 members across the country. Their mission is to fight against violence against girls. She started off by telling producer Sinatu Saka about the situation in Guinea. So one must know that Guinea is a country with the second highest rate of FGM. That's female genital mutilation. Which is a very good reason to say that the 95% of mothers, young women and sisters and me too, have been victim of the most flagrant abuse of human rights. The practice continues for many reasons. We focus on the cultural reasons. People are convinced that it's an ancestral practice that must be carried from generation to generation. At the continental level, how can we stop FGM? Already to stop the end of FGM, Women have to be involved at all levels. When we talk about involvement, we are talking about decision-making level. At school, in families, in society, in place of worship, and on the cultural level, women have to demystify their role. At the moment, in everything we do, when we talk about women, we say, she is very good, but she mustn't forget she is a woman. She's always given this type of role, but we have to go beyond that so people can see women as human beings. 
From then on, women can take responsibility for their body, for what they want. They can have the ability to support and elevate another woman or young woman to know what she wants. And then she can make the decisions about her own life because what we are trying to do, whether it's about mutilation or the question of other factors of promoting women, it's about doing what they think it's good for them. She knows how to avoid what's not good for her. At that moment, we will no longer talk about women's rights because they will know themselves what's good for them. You speak about getting all women involved and that leads me to my last question. What advice would you give to young women who want to fight against FGM? My advice to all my sisters and young women would be that they don't necessarily have to be activists to change things. However, they need to educate themselves and own their voice. They need to discover themselves. They need to know what they are worth and they need to know where they are going. At that point in time, we will no longer speak about genital mutilation because there will be other problems. Women have to know what impact they can have in their own life, in their communities and wherever they are. We don't need to fight for them. They have to fight for themselves. And it doesn't matter whether they are campaigners or not, whether they are activists or not, whether they are defenders of the human rights or not. What we want is that they are true to themselves and they identify why they are on this earth. Our second guest is Fatoumata C. Rejakate Jr., an activist in Mali. Eight million girls and women in the country have undergone FGM. Fewer than one in five girls and women think FGM should stop. She's fighting to change minds in a country where the practice is entrenched. I asked her to tell me about it. Mali is a place where religious and cultural traditions are very dominant. FGM is a practice which is not religious, but it is part of the cultural tradition. People in Mali tend to confuse the two, that is to say, religion and tradition, especially as more than half of the population cannot read or write. So that causes many problems in terms of spreading information about FGM and the consequences of FGM. I asked her what she thought about people who insist that FGM is a good thing for women. I think that before, people thought FGM was a good thing for women, but then they realized that women started dying during childbirth. Children had fistulas, that's to say blood clots, and women were rejected by their husbands due to health reasons. Before, people who ranged from 14 to 49 years old were favorable to FGM, but now, when you look at those who are under the age of 14, there is a decrease in FGM cases. This is because there is now a lot of information around the subject and awareness is being raised. I asked her about the organization for which she works and the work they do on the ground. The strategy had to be changed and we had to use videos that shocked people. Because how many men and women actually witness children being cut? 
It's not possible. It's when you show them videos about the sanitary conditions, the awful conditions where children die. It's disgusting. So when we show this to communities, we go to villages, we invite the village chiefs and tribal chiefs, imams, local authorities, they are all involved. We organize discussion sessions and we screen films. It's a journey. And we now start with the consequences of FGM. I asked her about how her organization retrains the women who were in charge of the cutting and the FGM ceremony. Of course, when we arrive in communities, we organize work sessions with the women who are doing the FGM. They say that we have asked them to stop practicing FGM, and then they ask us what we will do for them. We propose to them to group up into teams, and then they are trained in trades, which will generate revenue, trades of their choice. They choose the trade they want to ply, and after the training they are given materials, kits and manuals to enable them to go back to their community, and even hire other women and encourage them to abandon the knife too. Our last guest is a man. Jeremiah Kipainoi is a journalist from Kenya. He produces and hosts the NFGM podcast, where he rings up local and national officials and ask them why they're not doing more to stop FGM. I asked him about himself and his work. My name is Jeremiah Kipainoi. I am a Kenyan-based campaigner to NFGM, and um, I run the NFGM podcast, which is um, basically interviewing survivors, lawmakers, religious leaders, activists, lawyers, representatives from the government, all these sorts of people, sit down and ask them questions regarding what has been done now, what needs to be done better, and basically try to get all angles to speak about ending FGM because everyone has a different role to play in the NFGM campaign. I'm wondering, though, as a man, how did you even get involved or so interested or so concerned about this whole FGM issue? I was born and raised in the Maasai community, and uh, the Maasai community is found in Kenya. My home is in the south uh, southern part of Kenya, almost border, bordering Tanzania. My community practices seven out of every 10 girls and women living today in my community have been cut. And um, I have attended these cutting ceremonies as a child. For us, it was an opportunity to go and feast because, of course, people have food during those days. So I found myself celebrating such. But as I grew older, I started hearing stories from my friends and colleagues and uh, when working in radio, I also did a lot of interviews with survivors, with communities, and uh, visited uh, people and had conversations in the villages. And I just realized that this is a bigger issue than just an initiation practice or a step to go to womanhood, as it is in our culture. You did not notice, though, when you were a child that there was a lot of pain and suffering that was associated with these FGM rituals in Kenya? It's done. It's normally done in secret. So, I mean, I'm a boy and girls are normally cut by women separately. And until they heal is when you go to the ceremony. So in terms of suffering, you never get to know what's happening behind the scenes. It's just people happy that we now have a woman in our community. So I never really got to see the suffering uh, and no one ever talked about the suffering that you also go through when they are being cut. 
Do you think that more men need to get involved in the fight against FGM? Yes. Men are fathers. Men are religious leaders. Men are politicians who sit in parliament and make these laws. Most of the people in our courts here in Africa are men. If they don't understand, they will not do their job. Men as fathers are the ones who most of the time say that the, the girl is ready to be married. Or if they don't say and their wives approach them, they are the ones to give a go ahead. If the man of the family says, I will not allow my children to be cut, that's going to make a big difference because no girl will be cut. Be because you feel that men have more authority and their voice is listened to more than women in general? Is that what you mean by that? Yes. We are living in a patriarchal society here in Kenya and uh, Africa in general. And so decisions are mostly made by men. And for a long time, men have not been involved in the campaign. And the truth is, although this is a women's issue, men play a big, big role in ending FGM. They make decisions in the family. If a man says that they will not allow their daughters to be cut, the daughters will not be cut. Do you think that um, you're making progress? Yes. Things have changed, I'll tell you for sure, because now you can go to a community and speak about FGM. There are sometimes, uh, sometimes you go to communities and they kick you out. I mean, that still happens within some communities. But things have changed. In the past, you would not talk about it in public because it was a taboo to speak about FGM. Now you can go to a community that's practicing it and you speak about FGM. This episode has been both depressing and inspiring. FGM is a practice that's deeply ingrained in some African societies, and there's no simple answer for stopping it. And although Africa's potential is limitless, Practices like FGM are holding us back. Thank you to our three contributors, Kadiatu Konate, Jeremiah Kipainoi, and Fatumata Serejakate Jr. for making a difference. We have to work together to end FGM. We have to end this suffering. Thanks for listening. To find out more, visit www.trueafrica.co slash limitless or follow True Africa on Facebook and Twitter. Join in the conversation using the hashtag LimitlessAfrica. You've been listening to Limitless. I'm Claude Grinitsky. The Limitless podcast is a production of True Africa. This podcast is made possible with a grant from the U.S. Department of State and the Scene Fire Foundation.